Bless you guys. How are you guys doing today? Well, happy new year. The, the, the real people that love Jesus are in church today, huh? <laughs> this, this, this is good to see you guys in the house of God. I, the older I get, I'm 44 now, and um, my New Year celebrations aren't quite what they used to be. I, I'm like the East Coast New Year celebration, right? Nine o'clock. Happy New Year, kids. Dad, it's only nine. Guys, trust me, Happy New Year. It's Happy New Year somewhere, and Daddy's tired. Daddy's very tired. Well, welcome, everybody. Hey, who's here for the first time? Who's here for the very first time at The Rock today? Slip your hand up. Awesome, awesome. Oh, great. Yes. So cool. Well, welcome. Welcome to church. You're starting the year off right, like, like Pastor Darren said. Uh, can you believe his grandpa? I think he's the most handsome grandpa in the world, Pastor Darren. Crazy, that's crazy. Well, we hope you have a good time. Mostly we, we hope that you feel God's love today. And we hopefully that you feel God's presence here today. Why don't we open up in prayer? Lord, I just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the joy of starting off the new year right, Lord. And I just thank you that you're here and just pray, Lord, that our hearts would be ready for what you have to share with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today all the campus pastors are, are preaching. Pastor Miles will be back next week to start a great new series, so be sure to come. But all the campus pastors are preaching today, and we're all talking about victory. We got together and talked about what should we talk about today? You know, and but who doesn't want to start your year off with victory? Can I hear amen? Right? We want to be victorious. We want to have a great year. And there's so much planning going on this year, right? Planning for, for victorious 2017. Right, because we want to be victorious. We want to be winners. Right? We don't want to. We don't want to. Like our, our New Year's resolutions aren't. I want to start smoking this year. <laughs> right? I hope to be more in debt by the end of next year. Right? And I'm praying for more pimples. If the Lord could just honor that. Right? We 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 have resolutions. We want to accomplish things. Right? We want to we want to get things done. You know, the number one resolution in, in, of all these lists is everybody wants to get in shape. Everybody wants to lose weight, right? I just want to gain 10 pounds this year. I'm going to keep it simple, right? <laughs> lose weight, travel, read. Uh, Daniel, what's one of your New Year's resolutions, my friend? What, what do you want to accomplish this year? Ministry. Ministry, more ministry. More ministry. More ministry. Sandra, what about you? What about you? Victory. Awesome. I saw you nodding when I said that, right? Victory. We all want to be victorious this year. And, and I don't know what your 2016 looked like. I don't know what the highlights were. And I don't know how it wrapped up. But 2016 is gone. Right? It's gone. And it's never coming back. And, and anything you accomplish or not accomplish, that's gone too. Right? And the Bible says that heaven and earth will fade away, but my words, the word of God, will never fade away. Right? And I want to talk to you about being victorious today, and I'm going to give a very simple formula. Right? And today, I usually preach with, with, three, with three points. Today, relax, there's one point. Right? Because I know y'all don't want to pay attention on the first day of the year, right? <laughs> then I'm going to hand out the curriculum. Remember college? I'm going to have her curriculum. I'm going to have to sign that. Your parents need to sign it. No. <laughs> One point today, and I'll tell you the point right now. I'll get right into it. All right. The point is this. 
Here's the guarantee of how you have victory in your life. Here's the guarantee of how 2017 can be victorious. Pay attention. Here's the point that the whole message is. After this, I can just be quiet. Obey God. You see, we judge victory by points, right, guys, and by what we achieve, right, and, and by our metrics. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's how man judges victory. But God judges victory a whole different way. God judges victory by obedience. It's very simple. Not by results. Oh, man, that's so hard. I'm going to say this again. God judges victory by obedience, not by results. We judge our performance by results. Is that correct, guys? God doesn't judge us that way. He judges us by obedience. And we're naturally selfish people. We want to accomplish things. We want things for ourselves. My son, my son Marco, he's nine years old. I got four kids. 15-year-old, 16 16-year-old, 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and 9-year-old. My son Marco was that. We were in line somewhere buying some gift for somebody. I don't know. But by the time we make it up to the front, the cashier looks at Marco, and she smiles at him. She says, hello, Merry Christmas. And my son, Merry Christmas to you too. She just smiles, and she looks at him. She goes, are you ready for Christmas? He goes, yes. She goes, what would you like for Christmas this year? And I looked at him, he waited a moment, he pondered it, and he looked at it, he goes, I'm not sure, but I want to make sure it's expensive. <laughs> he don't care what it is, he just wants something expensive, because he's greedy. He ain't got no job, right? Wants expensive stuff, because, you know, we want things for ourselves, and we want victory, And my hope is that 2017, you guys, would be a super victorious year for all of us. We made it. We made it to 2016 with ups and downs. And we're here, and we're starting the year off right. You guys remember Y2K? Remember that nonsense? For all you younger people, right, this is Y2K. Y2K was this thought that the world was going to end at the year 2000, because all these smart people got together in a room and said, everything's digital now. Everything's zero one, zero one, one, and, and we didn't really accommodate and prepare for 2000. So when 2000 comes, everything's going to be reset, and we're going to lose everything. You guys remember that? Right? Take your, people were taking money out their bank, right? People were just buying a year's supply with this stuff. I missed it. I missed it. I should have started a business, Y2Kmart, right? End of your life supplies at a discount. Honey, we're going to die, but let's save money before we do that. So this year should be a year of victory for us, right? Luke chapter 2, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick this up, verse 41. 
So before I start reading, I want to give context to this, okay? So here's the deal. Jesus was born. Then, later on, it picks up Jesus' life around when he's 30 years old. Jesus had three years of ministry. Three years of ministry. So his ministry was from 30 to 33. In between the birth of Jesus and when his ministry started, there's this huge gap that we know very little about Jesus. The only thing we know about Jesus during this time is this, these couple of verses I'm going to read right now. So these are the only verses that give us insight on who Jesus was during that time. You, you guys following me? Here's an interesting thing as, 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 we, as we talk today. Christmas, huge deal, right? The Savior is born. The birth of Jesus, God incarnate, the very beginning of our faith, the birth of Jesus. You know what's very interesting? There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are basically the books written from these eyewitness accounts. Are you guys following me? That talk about Jesus' life from four different perspectives. Because it was four different authors. Same content, same truth, but four different perspectives because it was four different people. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them talk about Jesus' birth. Wow. Not only that, only a chapter in one and a couple verses in another. Yet we're talking about Christmas. Out of the four books that talk about Jesus' life, only two of them mention Jesus' birth. In contrast, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read those Gospels, Listen to this, guys. Over one-third of the content in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has to do with Jesus' last 10 days of his life. Once again, Christmas, our big day, two books mention it. Why such a discrepancy between Jesus' birth in the last 10 days of his life, over a third of the content. Why? This is why. The important thing isn't the little baby Jesus. The important thing is Christ, the Savior, the man, the Messiah. Can I hear amen? amen? That little baby Jesus grew up to be a man that changed the world. And he changed the world with his disciples. And he changed the world one heart at a time. And that's why 30, over 33% of the Gospels focuses on Jesus' last 10 days. In these last 10 days, we really get a glimpse on how obedient Jesus was. So now that that is set, let's pick up. Verse 41, and this is the only thing we know about Jesus during that time, before he's 30 years old. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the feast according to the custom. 
after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. They began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed and his understanding and at his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to them, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We're going to pause it right there. So here's the deal. Jesus is 12 years old. This is the only thing we know about young Jesus. Every year, all the Jewish people would have to travel from Nazareth. Everybody say Nazareth. To Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where they had the holy ceremonies, the feasts. You guys following me? This is one of the three times of the year that the people of God would travel to Jerusalem. Well, they would travel in communities and they would travel in huge packs. The city of Nazareth, which was a small town, they estimate anywhere between 400 and 2,000 people. They would go together because it was all a Jewish community and they would walk there. So it wasn't that Mary and Joseph were bad parents leaving Jesus behind. In those days, a 12-year-old was considered an adult. Can you believe that? Nowadays, a 30-year-old? I'm just saying. You fill in the blanks. But a 12-year-old was considered an adult. So he stayed back as the caravan kept moving. And you think, well, why did they have their eye on them? Well, you know what? They would travel in huge, huge communities. So finally they're going, oh, um, have, Mary, have you seen Jesus? Parents, have you ever done this? I got four kids. It happens all the time. Right? Um, you seen Marco? I saw him in the free sample aisle at Costco. I think he's still there. No, you see Jesus? Uh, no, Mary, I thought he was with you. Joseph, I thought he was with you. Come on, Mary. Right? They walked back. It was a five days walk. So they figured out some, somewhere along the line that Jesus was missing. It was a five day walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So they walked back. And when they get there, they see Jesus. And this is what Jesus is doing. The only thing we know about him during this time. He says this. They said, Jesus, where you been? 4-9. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Some of your versions say what? About my father's business. Right? They didn't know what he was saying to them. He was about his father's business. He was obedient. He was obeying God. Listen to this. 51, then he went to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Everybody say obedient. obedient. Say obedient. obedient. He was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor. We see that Jesus was obedient to him. So, I want to unfold this concept of being obedient through three different groups of people or characters. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say John the Baptist. John the Baptist. 
We say the disciples. Follow the story with me. Before Jesus came, there was about a three or four hundred year gap between people hearing from God. In those days, before Jesus, God would speak to the prophets. And the prophets would be the voice of God to the people. Could you imagine a three, four hundred year without hearing the voice of God? So God's people, the Israelites, had faded away from the Lord for centuries. During this time, Jesus is born, and a buzz starts to occur. King Herod's interested. They saw the supernatural light, right? And they start hearing rumors that the Messiah, Jesus, was here. So a little buzz starts, but Herod says, you know what? Let's kill all the male children, because Herod knows that Jesus is coming, So what Herod does, he sends out a decree to kill the male children. Mary and Joseph go to Egypt to escape. You guys following me? So that buzz kind of fades away. Jesus is born. We don't know anything about him. He's teaching, but he's a good kid. 30 years later, they start hearing about this crazy guy. John the Baptist. Everybody say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Now here's some interesting things about John the Baptist we need to keep in mind. John the Baptist, for all accounts, if we were to judge him, was a loser. I'll tell you why. He died in his early 30s. He had no wife. He had no significant other. He had no kids. John the Baptist had no home. John the Baptist was considered mad and crazy. John the Baptist ended up in prison for telling King Herod and rebuking him because King Herod had an affair with his brother's wife. So John the Baptist spoke up knowing good and well this wasn't going to go over well, gets imprisoned. Not only is he in prison, John the Baptist starts doubting Jesus, his very cousin. Because while he's in prison, he tells his disciples, hey guys, it's not looking good for me in here. So before I die, can you guys reach out to Jesus one more time and just make sure he's who he said he is? So John the Baptist sends his disciples, they connect with Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, tell him I'm the guy who he thinks I am. He goes back. John the Baptist, soon after that, gets beheaded. No home, very few friends, thought to be mad, crazy outfits, weird diet, ate locusts, lived in the wilderness, died young, imprisoned, and beheaded. Yet, listen to this, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Out of all the men born from women, there is nobody greater how why didn't didn't he see all this thing we just listed this is why the way god judges victory and success is through what is through what john the baptist 
was obedient. He was obedient. Goes down by Jesus' words as being the greatest man that ever lived. And in our judgment, he would be a loser. Let's take a look at Jesus. Right? Jesus came from a interesting parents. His mom, like Pastor Miles said, right, got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know how hard it was to convince his buddies of that? What do you think they were saying beside his parents' back? Jesus was from a small town called Nazareth. When they heard that Jesus was doing stuff and that there was a buzz when he started his ministry, this is what they said about Nazareth. They said, Nazareth? Jesus from that, what in the world good can come out of Nazareth? So his town was no good. His parents were questionable. His name was Jesus. Joshua, Yeshua. It was a common name. He was a common guy with common parents. They were questionable. From a chump town. Get this. His family didn't even believe in him. His brother James that wrote the book of James was his brother. He didn't even believe in Jesus the Christ until Jesus resurrected. Oh, Jesus had no home. Oh, guess what? Jesus' buddies, every one of them betrayed him. Man, is this victory? This is success? This is why God honored his son Jesus so much. Because Jesus was obedient. Jesus was obedient to death. Matter of fact, during that time, Jesus didn't want to do it. He said, God, if there's any other way for me to be, for these people to be saved, other than going through this pain, please show me. He didn't want it. Because he knew how hard it was going to be. You've heard the term excruciating. Is that right, guys? That word did not exist until Jesus died on the cross. What word do you hear in excruciating? Cruz, cross. That word was invented and it was birthed to explain the immense amount of pain it, people endured of dying on the cross. Excruciating. Excruciating. On paper, would you consider that a successful life? Dying at 33, family not believing you, no significant other, no home, arrested, betrayed by your friends, and killed? Doesn't sound like a formula of success to me. This is why, guys. Once again, God does not judge our success by our results. He judges our success by our obedience. There's a great verse, and it says, what matters if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? Right? We could have the best new year ever, guys, right? We could all become millionaires, right? We could all get in shape, right? We could all have new outfits and work more and spend more time with family. This is all wonderful. 
at the end of 2017. But at the end of 2017, you have not been obedient to God. Your year was a failure. Yet the whole world could tumble. You can be left. You can be mocked. You can be stripped, you can be beaten, you can be incarcerated, and you can be beheaded this year. But if during that process you are obedient to God, you are considered a success in God's eyes. We can all choose to be obedient. Let's take a look at the disciples. You guys remember the dream team back in the day? Right, when Jordan and his buddies got together? Right, because the college kids had lost a couple of gold medals, they're like, uh-uh, no more. We're going to show this world what's up. It was Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, right? You name it, they were on the dream team. And they destroyed the competition. Yeah, because they chose the very best in the world, and I don't blame them. God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus chose a bunch of scrubs. Scrubs, fishermen, stinky fishermen, tax collectors, people people didn't want to hang out with, and these scrubs changed the world. Think about it, guys. Before it was before Christ and after Christ, the whole world changed with these losers. Why? Because they were obedient. You know what God wants from you? He just wants you to be obedient. He's got a calling in your life, in your life, in your life, in your life, in your life. And he wants you to be obedient. And he wants you to follow that calling. And you're going to have the stress between following the calling that you're putting in your life and following the calling that God's putting in your life. But if you want real victory in your life and you want real power in your life and you want to have a life that changes the world, You've become a loser. Some of you guys are happy, like, wow, I've been a loser for a long time. Well, good. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Right? We're gonna become losers. We gotta give our life away. And it's so counterintuitive because we wanna be great. But we become great by becoming nothing. And we assure ourselves victory by losing it all. The disciples, there was 12. One of them betrayed Jesus. There was 11 left. Out of these 11 left, you guys, listen to this. Listen, 10 of them died martyrs. 10. This is how God changed the world. He sent Jesus, his son, to die for us, to be an example. And in here, there's people that have, plenty of you guys that have given your life to the Lord, but an example of obedience until death. See, God wants us to obey him, not because he's on a power trip. Are you guys with me? I want my kids to obey me, not because I want to show them I'm their dad. It's very simple. I want my kids to obey me because I love them. I don't want my kids to go through the same pain I went through. I don't want to 
My kids the same, have the same scars that I went through. The reason I want my kids to obey is because I love them. Taro, your mama, the reason she wants you to listen to her is because she loves you. As children of God, God wants us to obey him because he loves us and he wants to spare us. You look all through the Bible, sin and disobedience, death and consequences. It's very simple. It's the same story over and over. Adam, sin, animal had to die. Eve, sin, women, childbirth. Thank you, Eve. <laughs> Cain kills his brother, has to go out. People in Israel, disobedient, 40 years in the desert. David, right, has an illicit affair. His first child is, d- dies. It's the same thing. We disobey, we get consequences. We obey, we get blessings. It's that simple. It's that simple. And it's that simple that that's what God wants from us. He doesn't care about your amazing results. Nothing wrong with them, but that's not what pleases God. And the reason he wants you to be obedient is simply, you guys, is simply because he loves you. It was 1995. And I had a pretty good life. By my standards. By the world's standards. I'd done pretty good. Um, Went to San Jose State. Went there on a football scholarship. Got my school paid for. Studied business. At least I think I studied business. I have a degree at least in business. That, that, That I have. Was a good guy on paper. Really good guy, because I grew up in a church. And, and so I, I learned to fear the Lord, but, but somewhere along the line, I got it twisted. I got it twisted a little bit, because I started focusing on me and not the Lord. And I started focusing on my results, not trusting God. And on paper, man, I was a good kid. Didn't smoke, never smoked. Never cussed. It, you know, I've never cussed in my life. You know, I've never tasted alcohol. I've never had a glass of champagne or a beer. I'm not preaching against that. You guys, does that make sense? I'm telling you how, how, how I grew up. But I started focusing on those things. And look at those people. Look at those sinners. And it took one night when I heard a message from Pastor Miles about 20 years ago. And I came home, and I took inventory of my life. And I said, wow, on paper I look good. But I was empty. Because my focus became me. And I don't know everybody in this room here today. But I know there's some people that need more. I know some people that come to church here that need more. There's some people here for the first time and God brought you here to hear this message from him to you telling you that he loves you and you need more. And I came home and I didn't want to, I didn't want to pray this prayer because it was a prayer I avoided all my life. And it was a simple prayer and it was God, I'll do what you want me to do. that things changed 
my desires changed. My focus changed. My heart changed. My eternity changed. And this is a quick story I wrote about that time. I used to live life for myself. I would always do things Huawei. I had my Bible on the shelf, wasted my time running from you. I didn't want to clean my closet. I didn't want to face the truth. Thought I was cool. I thought I was fine. But I knew if you came back, I'd be the first one left behind. Said to myself, ain't that a shame? So I got down on my knees and I began to call his name. Come on, I said, Jesus, please save me tonight. Oh, oh, oh. I've sinned so much, it ain't right, no, oh, oh. And from this moment, I know what I need to do. I need to die so I can live my life for you. Listen up. So if you're feeling kind of lonely and you're feeling kind of lost, don't forget about the man that was dying on the cross. He was once your friend, he was once your savior, but now things have changed, you got a different behavior. He's the only one that can save you from your sin, he knows all the little secrets that you dabbled in. So if you're living your life, you think you're living it well, well there's a lot of fine people that are going to hell. Listen to my voice thinking I've gone astray, I got one quick little question just to ask you today. If Jesus came back, yes the one, the Messiah, would you fly through the sky or be left with the fire? Better pay attention to the words you've been told. Do you want to walk on fire or on streets made of gold? Huh. Jesus is listening for your voice today. So get down on your knees and begin to pray. I said, Jesus, please save me tonight. Whoa, oh, oh. I've sinned so much, it ain't right. No, oh, oh. And from this moment, I know what I need to do. I need to die so I can live my life for you. I said, Jesus, please save me tonight. Whoa, oh, oh. You know, the devil's so sneaky. Because I avoided all my life to pray that prayer. And for the first time in my life, I had true victory. But in order to be victorious, I had to become a loser. And that night, I lost it all. I lost my pride, my sins, my selfishness, my pain, and my sorrow. And my encouragement to everybody here... As we close up, and we're going to have a chance for her to make a decision. I want to make sure I start this year off right. And regardless of the cost, regardless of what my girlfriend thinks, or my friends think, or my boss thinks, regardless of what the costs are, I'm going to choose obedience. And on paper, it may look like a couple steps back, and on paper, it may look like bad decision, but don't judge yourself by your results. Judge yourself by your obedience. And I can tell you this, you guys. If you live a life that's obedient, you will not regret it. And it was these guys, Jesus, John the Baptist, and the disciples that on paper were losers. They died young. They were incarcerated. They were beheaded. They were betrayed. They were scrubs. But in God's eyes, they were exactly who they needed to be, which is obedient. 
And we can't all choose success here. Some may have it and some may not. And we can't all choose wealth here. Some may have it and some may not. And we can't all choose to be in shape here. Some may have it, some may not. But everybody here today can choose to be obedient. And out of all these things, that's the real thing that matters. What matters if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? So my encouragement as we close up is leave here making a choice to be obedient. And in a minute when we pray, we get an opportunity for those that aren't sure that they've made that decision or need to really make it for the first time. Or really, you know what, resubmit it to the Lord. We're going to give that opportunity. So if you guys can join me, bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I just pray for everybody right here, right now. Lord, I thank you that you're here and I thank you that they are here, God. Lord, I pray right now that you would supernaturally move in hearts right now. I pray that hearts would decide, I want to live for you. No matter the cost, no matter what the appearance, no matter what it looks like on paper, I want to serve you. And I want 2017 to be your victory. But not victory in my eyes, but in victory in your eyes. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you today want to say, you know what? I want to invite God in my life and I need victory. I need to be a person that stands up for the things of God. I need to be a person that doesn't care what the world thinks or their standards. If that's you, pray in your heart, dear God, forgive me. Come into my heart. Make me new. I want to be yours. Cleanse me of my sins, God. And give me the strength to obey. If that's you, in a minute, we're going to ask you to stand up on the count of three. And listen, now's the time to make that step. It was a great year, but we lost so many people. There's no guarantee of tomorrow, you guys. What we have is guaranteed here today, and God wants you to obey Him because He loves you. I want you to understand that, because He loves you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to receive that love today, and you pray that prayer, and you want to be a new creation, and you want to make sure you've invited God into your heart, or start fresh, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to stand up.